It's not really your fault if the acronym ERA makes you think of baseball and earned run averages. Because it's been close to 50 years, 5-0, since the Equal Rights Amendment made it through Congress and out to the state legislatures that needed to ratify it. But something happened on the ERA's way to making women explicitly equal under the American Constitution. Something about its 24 plain words that equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex brought out the opposition. And so the ERA stalled three states short of ratification. Then last year, Nevada's legislature voted for it, and in May, so did the Illinois legislature, which leaves one more state to make the needed 38. Now, the deadline for the ratification expired long ago, although legally it's possible that that doesn't matter. But those votes, along with the Me Too movement, the Women's March, the Trump presidency, and a shout-out for the ERA at the Oscars, have put new life in the ERA movement, and with a possible victory this close, one state away, in spite of the legal thicket that lies ahead, Jessica Newworth, the co-president of the ERA coalition, thinks that the ERA could be the 28th Amendment to the Constitution even before 2020, when Americans mark the 100-year anniversary of the 19th Amendment, the one that gave women the vote in the first place. So what's been going on for 40-some years? Well, I think what we're seeing is a resurgence of interest uh, in the ERA and awareness of the ERA and uh, kind of determination to push it across the finish line. The truth is, it hasn't ever gone away entirely. When the deadline expired for the ERA in 1982, after 10 years of lobbying for ratifications, which came very, very close, I think it went off the radar screen a little bit, but there have always been people working on it. And in particular, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney has introduced the ERA in each one of the last 11 sessions of Congress. I'm uh, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney from New York. The Equal Rights Amendment is an important step forward for men and women, and I'm pleased to be joined by so many uh, of my colleagues who have co-sponsored this amendment. Today is the 29th anniversary of the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment in both houses of Congress. It went on to be ratified by 35 states, three states short for final passage. On this anniversary, I am extremely proud, along with my colleague Steve Horn, to reintroduce it, and we have well over 162 co-sponsors. We are in a new millennium, and we can no longer keep women down and back. There's been a steady progression of interest. I think when Patricia Arquette, for example, mentioned the ERA at the Academy Awards, there was a big reaction right there. To every woman who gave birth, to every taxpayer and citizen of this nation, we have fought for everybody else's equal rights. It's our time to have wage equality once and for all and equal rights for women in the United States of America. That was a big help. And then last year, Nevada voted, you know, this bit of a surprise to some of us, just out of the blue, it seemed. Nevada voted to ratify the ERA, and now Illinois, which brings it to 37. Congresswoman Carol Maloney held a shadow hearing on the ERA in Congress. A shadow hearing is conducted by the minority because it doesn't have the power to convene a regular hearing. What happened is that the congresswoman had written to the chair of the 
Judiciary Committee and wasn't able to get any reply favorable to doing a hearing. So she decided it was a bit rogue, just decided to convene her own hearing. What has changed in the political or the cultural landscape to make you more hopeful that the ERA could pass? Well, I think some of our most recent political change really dates back to the Women's March following the election in 2016. And that march, which was the biggest in history, really brought women together, not only in the country, across the country, but across the world. And ever since then, I think we've just seen an incredible renewal of uh, activist energy. People just feeling like we're just not going to sit back and silent and watch violations against women continue. And then other issues as well, like the, certainly the gun violence issue, you just see this general spirit of activism that certainly in my lifetime I've never witnessed, and it has a lot of power. There's also a lot of power in the legislatures that have not ratified the ERA. Most of them are in the Old South, a couple in the Rocky Mountain West, Utah and Arizona. So what is your strategy? Well, there are several different strategies, but in terms of ratification for the 38th state, there are several states that have been working on it. Virginia has had votes, uh, has passed it in one of the two houses there several times. Right now, there's a bill pending in North Carolina, and we're hoping that might go through. And then there's legislation pending in Congress to bring the ERA back in a new and stronger form, sponsored by Carolyn Maloney. And so all of this is going to, I think, one way or another, finally get women in the Constitution. And then there's a bill pending in Congress sponsored by Jackie Speer. The California Congresswoman. The California Congresswoman and Ben Cardin from Maryland in the Senate that would remove the deadline. So that combination of removing the deadline and having the 38 states ratify is another way to try to kick this across the finish line. The deadline expired in 1982, as you said. But some people have looked to 1992 when Congress voted for a Madison Amendment that had been around since 1789 about changes in congressional pay, and that one was still alive. What is the legal thinking about whether the ERA is still viable? The Madison Amendment gave people the idea that after 200 years even, you could pass an amendment. The Madison Amendment didn't have a deadline. In the 1700s, when it was first proposed, it had no deadline. No amendments have had any deadline. And no deadline is required for an amendment. But starting with prohibition, where the deadline was put in for very political reasons, most amendments since prohibition have had a deadline. So the question is, can you remove it altogether because it's not required? It's a legal question. It might go to the courts in the end. But there's certainly a strong argument that if Congress votes to remove the deadline, they have the power to do that because the deadline is not required by the Constitution. The message is we want this in the Constitution. And one way or another, if we have to start all over, we start all over and we'll make it even stronger. Carolyn Maloney in her bill has added a sentence that says women shall have equal rights in addition to the other sentence in the amendment that says equality of rights shall not be denied or abridged because she wants to see the word women in the Constitution. The word women doesn't appear in the Constitution. Does it even appear in the 19th Amendment giving women the vote, or does it just say sex? No, it says sex. And, of course, remember, when the Constitution was written, there was no accident that women were left out. It was very intentional. Abigail Adams wrote to her husband, please remember the ladies. In the new code of law, which it will be necessary for you to formulate, I desire that you remember the ladies 
and be more generous and favorable to them than ever were your ancestors. Do not place unlimited power in the hands of husbands, for all men would be tyrants if they could. And if particular care and attention be not paid to the ladies, we are absolutely determined to foment a revolution of our own. Clearly uh, intended to leave pretty much everyone except uh, white men who own property out of the Constitution. So a lot has changed since then, and we just need to update our Constitution. It's not that complicated, really. What was the nature of the opposition 40-some years ago, and how has the opposition changed? Well, 40 years ago, when you look back at the campaign, there was a lot of cultural Upheaval. So, for example, one of the big arguments against the ERA in the 70s was the idea that women would have to serve in military combat. And, of course, what we've seen since then is a big struggle for women in the military for the right to serve in military combat because they saw that as equal opportunity and important to their career advancement and realization of their goals to serve their country. And now they have that right, which they had to get through an executive order in the end. But there should be a constitutional right for women to do whatever job they want. Another big argument, of course, was the fear of gay marriage, that uh, that was like the specter of doom, and now we have a constitutional right to marriage equality. So those are not really issues that stand in the way of, of or create fear for people anymore. So I don't think there's opposition. I think it's really just a question of getting people more aware of what the ERA even is, and most people who know what it is, think we already have it. 80%, according to our polls of Americans, think we already have constitutional equality, which we don't. And once they realize that we don't have it, according to our polls, 94% of all Americans think we should have it. So I think it's really mostly an information gap. One of the reasons for opposition, too, was abortion. And to this day, there are legislators who call this the abortion amendment, the abortion on demand amendment. That issue as a cultural divider has not gone away. Right. But I think it's a real myth to say that this amendment is really being proposed for the purpose of legalizing abortion. That's simply not true. We have the right to abortion choice to choose abortion under Roe versus Wade. That is actually a different area of the Constitution. It's the right to privacy, and that's kind of the battleground for abortion. And there are actually a number of very strong anti-choice or what they call themselves pro-life advocates who are strongly supportive of the ERA. I think it's a red herring. In the 40-some years since, a lot of laws have been passed to make women and men equal in the public stage, access to all sorts of jobs. Uh, In California, an equal pay law that was passed a year or so ago. So what remains? What is left in that gap between what is actually law now and what the Equal Rights Amendment would do? Well, there may be less of a gap in a state like California that has passed a lot of state protections, but of course one thing the ERA would do is to protect all women and men in the United States across the country, whatever state they live in. Not every state has those protections. In many cases, when you look at legislative protections, there are a number of loopholes or limitations, and I think that there is a patchwork quilt, as I call it, protections in place but they're constantly being eroded by court interpretation. The Me Too movement has raised consciousness, to use an old feminist phrase. It's empowered a lot of women. 
But there is still a president in the White House who doesn't lose support from many of his backers after saying, grab him by the genitalia. I think that it's not an accident that all of that immediately predates the Me Too movement. It just shows you the power of speaking out. And I think what the ERA does right now is it gives a legal framework to some of that. And Alyssa Milano was uh, with us in the congressional hearing and certainly made that link that the ERA is a really concrete fix to the big problems that we're having and that having left women out of the Constitution 200 years ago has helped to create a culture of second-class citizenship in which women are treated in certain ways with complete impunity. My name is Alyssa Milano, and I am here because I do not have equal rights under our Constitution. I have a three-year-old daughter named Bella, and she does not have equal rights under our Constitution. Now, if my daughter and I lived in Iceland or Rwanda or Vietnam, we would have equal rights under their constitutions. But we live in the United States of America where we do not have equal rights under our own. Passing an equal rights amendment would, for the first time in our country's history, open a pathway toward true gender equality. The RA would set a norm for equal pay for equal work so that women can become full economic actors in our society. It would protect women from discrimination so that we do not have to make the impossible choices between earning a paycheck and having a family, between making a living and living in our own bodies. It would require states to enforce laws against gender violence so that police can no longer turn their backs on women like Jessica Lenahan or girls like her daughters whose deaths were preventable and whose heartbreaking story reminds us of the cost of our inaction. And the ERA could play a tremendous role in helping to change that more quickly. The original ERA was written by a Republican, and the Republican Party was first in to support it in the 40s and 50s. Opening up this uh, wonderful event launching the new campaign for the Equal Rights Amendment. I want to introduce to you right now Congressman Ben Gilman from New York. Thank you and welcome. Welcome to the Capitol. Welcome to Washington. And yes, it is truly a bipartisan effort. As a Republican, I want to assure you there are many Republicans that want to see us go over the top this time and not just be three states short. I think it was part of the party platform until, what, Ronald Reagan? Ronald Reagan took it out, actually, of the party platform on the Republican side. But previously it had been in there, and it was the first party to put it in the platform. And sadly, the Republicans took it out under Ronald Reagan. But before that, there had been a lot of Republican support. I mean, Betty Ford. As a woman and as a Republican, I do not understand how we as a people can continue to hold our heads high up and be proud of what this nation stands for if we have not guaranteed the rights of half of our population. And there were at least three Republican presidents who actively supported it, including Ford, Eisenhower, and Nixon. It's almost 100 years since the passage of the 19th Amendment that gave women the vote. Are you going to key your campaign around that centennial? We hope to see the ERA in the Constitution before that time. 
I think it's really an outrage that we've waited so long for this basic right. And, you know, when women got the right to vote in 1920, pretty immediately they turned around at that time, all the women in the suffrage movement, and they put the ERA into Congress in 1923. So it's been pending one way or another and almost got through in the 70s, really came close. But I just don't, I don't think we should be waiting another day, another year, let alone another hundred years. Jessica Newworth, co-president of the ERA Coalition, thank you. Thank you very much. Pat Morrison asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered by Mike Heflin and Dave Wine and edited by Heflin. The audio moments are from NBC News, from C-SPAN, from Facebook, from The Hollywood Reporter, and from a 2005 PBS production of the play Jefferson and Adams. America the Beautiful was performed by the U.S. Air Force Band. Subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks and never miss a podcast.